Bible reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and that's on page 743 of the Church Bibles. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Uh, the New Testament reading comes from 2 Corinthians, from chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 9, on page 820. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. We're going to talk about generosity. We need the Lord to help us, so why don't you join me as I ask for our great God's help. Father, yours is the, the glory and the honor and the power. And you are deserving all our praise. And we thank you that you've left the scriptures with us. We thank you you've given us your spirit. And we thank you, Father, for the way that your word just changes our lives. And so we come before your word now with humility, uh, longing for you to speak clearly to us. In Jesus' name. Let's talk about generosity. When I say the word generous, 
I wonder who you think of. Who is the most generous person that you know? Or generous people that you know? Just think about that question. Who do you know that they just model generosity to you? When I think of generosity, I think of, of a man who you've probably never heard of. His name is Ronald Wilcox. He's um, a UK guy. He was a banker in London. Uh, he was not a preacher. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a leader. He never wrote a book. You can Google him. You won't find anything about him. Uh, there's no image of him to put on the screen. But he's an extraordinary Christian man, or he was an extraordinary Christian man. At his funeral a few years ago, two years ago now, these words were said. That Ronald Wilcox could have died a very wealthy man. Ronald Wilcox could have died a very wealthy man, but he chose not to. So if you knew Ronald Wilcox, he chose to use his money with extraordinary generosity. So he, he bought a building in London near Bank Station and he provided a, a building for a school of preaching in London. He wasn't the preacher, he wasn't the leader, but he just backed that project and hundreds of men and women have been trained to preach the gospel through his generosity. He had a heart for the poor and the needy. He was walking through Bethnal Green one day, it's a, a suburb of London, a bit like Redfern here in Sydney. And he spotted the youth on the streets, the young people on the streets. And he spotted an empty, disused church building. And so with his own money, he set up a youth off the streets program. And he fed them, and he read the Bible to them. Not him personally, he got teams of people together. And now that church, 30 years later, is a thriving church called the Good Shepherd Mission. And I could just name lots and lots and lots of other ways that this man used his money generously for the good of the gospel. It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? He could have died a very wealthy man, but he chose not to. When I think of generosity, I think of another man here in Sydney. He's filthy rich. You know, he funds half the MTSs and half the church plants, and you name it, he funds it. Uh, for him, writing a check is not a big thing. It hardly impacts him. That's not what strikes me. What strikes me is his generosity with his time. He's incredibly generous with the time that God has given him. He's CEO of one of the biggest companies here in Sydney. He's a Christian man, and so he, he organizes his diary. He chooses how he spends his time. And so he gives time to, to young men and young Christian women to train them in business skills, how to be Christian in their business world. And at the beginning of every year, he blocks out Monday nights. Five times a year, he teaches Simply Christianity for a local church. And he says no to speaking engagements across the world because he's committed his time to serving the local church. He's an incredibly generous man with his time. When I think of generosity, I think of people in this very church, some in this congregation, some in other congregations. Uh, the Christian lawyer who set up a legal aid thing for abused women. Gives up a Saturday month helping women who suffer domestic violence. I think of the doctor who has given up time to do prison ministry. I think of the psychologist who set up the Christian charity. I think of the woman down in James Milson 
who is actually incapacitated. She can't even leave her building. But she's generous with the gift that God has given her of her prayer life. And so she just prays and prays and prays. I think of the, the young mum who you know, is at that crazy stage of life with three young kids. And she is generous because every time she cooks a meal, she makes an extra portion and puts it in the freezer so she's got food available for those in need. You see, we're all at different stages of life. We have different time availabilities, different talents, different amounts of money, and that will change as you go through your life. But whatever stage of life you're at, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I being generous with what God has given me? My time, my talents, and my money. So I want to ask you as I kick off this sermon, how are you going with your own generosity? How would you rate yourself in terms of being generous? I've now been a pastor for 11 years. And as far as I can remember... I don't think one single person has ever come to me and said, Paul, I'm really struggling with generosity. I'm struggling with lust, I'm struggling with pride, I'm struggling with greed, I'm struggling with impatience, but no one said, I'm really struggling to be generous. I'm hoarding all my money for myself, and I've got all this time, but I'm just using it selfishly, I'm not giving to other people. It's almost like generosity has dropped off our spiritual radar. And that's why we're talking about generosity tonight. I'm not going to give you legalistic rules of how much you should give and how many hours you should spend serving and what you should do with your time and your talents. That's just rules and legalism. I want to give you the motivation. The reasons why God calls us to be generous. I've got two words for you tonight. Here's the first word. Grace. Your generosity will flow from that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you've met Jesus, when you've been gripped by his grace and his generosity towards you, that will radically change your heart. That passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul Paul describes the riches of God's grace. You You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was lavishly rich as Jesus was seated in the luxuries of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He stooped to come down to this earth as a man and went to Calvary to die for you. And through his poverty, you might become rich. Uh, That is grace. That God sees you in your time of need and he sees you with all your failings and he reaches out to you and he shows you grace and forgiveness in Christ. And when you've understood that and when you've met Jesus personally, that shapes your generosity. See, generosity cannot be commanded. It sort of flows naturally from grace. Let me show you from Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, we meet him in verse 2. He's a chief tax collector. Immediately thinking he's not popular, he's hated. We're told in verse 2, Luke 19, verse 2, he's very wealthy. He is wealthy because he's cheated people out of their money. And he's living richly on other people's money. He's a tax collector. But Jesus found Zacchaeus. 
Jesus showed Zacchaeus grace. In verse 3, we're told he wanted to see Jesus, but he was a short man. Nothing would have been short, but he couldn't see. He's creative in verse 4, so he runs ahead. He climbs a sycamore fig tree. It's kind of a squatty, oak-like tree. doesn't care about his dignity. doesn't care if people ridicule him. He just is desperate to see Jesus. And he meets Jesus. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. We don't know how he knows his name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house tonight. I hope you've got this. See, it's Jesus who takes the initiative in calling Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus could have just walked past and ignored him. But Jesus stops, looks at him, calls him by name, and invites him into that relationship. That's what Jesus does. That's grace. Jesus seeing you, calling you, inviting you. That's why Jesus came. Verse 10, he came to seek and save the lost. People like you and me. And verse 6 tells us that Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly or joyfully. So I reckon Zacchaeus is a beautiful example of how we encounter Jesus. No pride, not his own dignity, doesn't stand on his own abilities or wealth. He just wants to see Jesus. And Jesus calls him, shows him grace, and Zacchaeus follows. Now, how do you know that Zacchaeus has met Jesus? What evidence is there that he's been gripped by who Jesus is? It's that radical change. He was never the same again. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. It's extraordinary generosity. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, of course he'd had. That was his job. I'll pay back four times the amount. He's got this new perspective on on his possessions and his money. Verse 8 again. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, to those in need. And you're thinking, wow, that's impossible. I reckon that Zacchaeus could have given half of his possessions and not even really felt the difference. Most of us could do that. We could give half our wardrobes away, half our food in our fridge away, half our CD collection away, half of everything away, and still live very comfortable lives. See, what is striking is that Jesus does not give any law. He doesn't ask Zacchaeus to give at all. But Zacchaeus wants to give because he's met Jesus. He doesn't mention figures like 10% or 15% or 20% because we don't live under law anymore. We live under grace. And if you've understood grace, the question is not uh, how much must I give? How much do I have to give? If you've got grace, it's all about how much do I get to give? How much do I get to serve? How much can I serve? Do you remember the the Macedonian church we read about? Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that they are 
wealthy with their large house and their lavish lifestyles, and they wanted for little, but they were actually quite stingy. He writes this, I, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They understood grace out of the most severe trial, their suffering, but their joyful, overflowing joy, and they're extremely poor, they have nothing, but it welled up into rich generosity. They understood grace. And I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. See, we don't know how much they gave. It could have been a tiny, tiny amount, but they gave as much as they were able. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Paul isn't trying to twist their arm to give. They're asking Paul, when can I give? How can I give? How much can I give? They want to give. But the key is there at the end. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And that's the key. If you've met Jesus, if you understood grace, then you give yourself first to Jesus. And because you've given yourself to Jesus, you want to give to others. Let me say it as clear as I can. God does not want your time serving here at church by the bridge if he doesn't have your heart. God doesn't want all the gifts and skills that God has given you to be used here at Church by the Bridge if he hasn't got your heart. And he doesn't want your money if he hasn't got your heart. But if he's got your heart, if you've been gripped by grace, you want to give, you want to serve. I worked in an orphanage in Thailand 15 years ago now. I was there for three months living in a little tin shack a single room with five other people. And they taught me generosity. Christians who loved Jesus and they were extraordinarily generous. They had nothing. But in a holiday went by when someone came up to me with some rice or, or an egg which was very expensive for them or just something that they wanted to share with me. Just extravagant Generosity. Out of their little, they gave much. I hope I'm being clear to you tonight. If you know Jesus, if you've given yourself first to him, then everything that you have belongs to him. Your talents, your time, your energy, and yes, your money. And what we do with those things really shows whether we've understood grace. I know a pastor of a church in the western suburbs, a tiny church, at most 40 people. They exhibit generosity. You know, the giving per head is more than the giving per head here at Church by the Bridge. And yet their wages, their salaries, they don't compare. He talks about how on a Sunday morning people arrive early and they're vacuuming the carpet ready for church and they're there cleaning up afterwards. And Sunday afternoons, you know, they're here, here fixing stuff. And if there's a, a, a broken... Uh, no tap or pipe or whatever. They don't say, oh, phone a plumber, we'll pay someone to do it. They're there doing it. Why? Because they love Jesus and they love the local church and they just want to serve. And they exhibit generosity. That's the main point, the most important thing tonight. Your generosity with your time, your talents and your money must flow from grace. The second word is this. 
eternity. Your, your generosity will be dictated on your perspective on the future. Your generosity will flow from what you believe about the future. If you're confident and certain that there will be a day when Jesus Christ returns and will all give account, that, that will radically change the way you use your gifts here and now. Most of us here, I reckon, have this sort of this very uh, non-Christian mindset that life is all about a treadmill. You know, you, you, you get up and you go to work and you have lunch, you go back to work and you come home and do some exercise and you eat and then you go to bed and you get up and you go to work and you have lunch and you go back to work and you come home and you do some exercise and you eat again, you go to bed and same old, same old, same old. And yet, you know, our lives can be mundane and routine, but we're not on a, on a, um, we're not on a treadmill, we're on a travelator. We're heading somewhere. There's a destination we're heading towards. It's called the return of Christ. Christ has come. He stepped into our world. He went to Calvary. The tomb was empty. He defeated death. He's reigning with his Father in glory now. But he's told us there'll be a day when he returns to wrap up this world. And if you've grasped that, it radically changes your whole perspective on life. What you do with your property and your plans and your gadgets and your investments and your, your bricks and mortar will all be changed by eternity. Because what really matters is people. People. And people's souls. See, it's fascinating that straight after Jesus met Zacchaeus, he tells another parable. It's there in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 11. He doesn't speak to the religious people or to the Pharisees. He speaks to his disciples, to us. It's quite confronting. He says, when they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. This is the parable. You don't, you don't need a PhD to work it out. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. That's Jesus. He left earth, he's returned to his father as king, but one day he's going to return. And so before that, he caused ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. It's a, a huge amount of money, about three months' wages. He says, put this money to work until I come back. And Matthew talks about talents rather than miners. It doesn't really matter. It's saying that whatever you've got, whether it's money, whether it's gifts, whether it's talents, whatever it's got, make sure that you put it to work until I return. And that's basically the point of the parable. Uh, because you know that Jesus Christ is coming back, that's got to radically change the way that you live now. Because you know he's going to return, make sure you're using whatever he has given you to serve him generously now. I'm not saying that we want to leave our jobs and, or become full-time Christian workers. We need people in the workforce. But you know, think about the money you've got, the gifts you've got, the time you've got, the energy you've got, whatever stage of life you're at, it will be different for different people. And just think, how can I use this in light of eternity? You know, I'm the kind of person who does work to deadlines. And when you've got a deadline there, you get working. And knowing there's a deadline, 
the return of Christ, it just radically changes us. You don't procrastinate. You just get, get serving, get working. Jesus describes two responses. One scary and one is beautiful. The scary response is down in verse 20. People who were not generous, who didn't use what Jesus had given them. At verse 20, the servants came and said, Sir, here's your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I didn't use it. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. How can they say that? He's just given them three months' wages. You take out what you didn't put in, you reap what you didn't sow. They hadn't understood who Jesus was, they hadn't understood grace, and they hadn't understood that whatever they've been given, they're called to use for the good of the kingdom. I did nothing with it. I did nothing with it. Can you imagine locking up on Judgment Day to God and say, God, here, here's, here's your gift of administration. I never used it. I didn't want to spoil it in any way. God, here's, here's, here's the gift of hospitality that you gave me. and I had that spare room and oh, the bed linen was beautiful and it was a, a perfectly set up room with beautiful carpets, but I didn't want to invite anyone in need to, to sleep in that spare room in case, they, in case they just abused my hospitality in some way and never invited me back. Uh, here's your gift of teaching God. I, I didn't bother using that one because I was just tired all the time and busy. God, here, here's the gift of music, and I just kept quiet about that church by the bridge. I know there's a need, but I just quite enjoyed turning up at church 15 minutes late and just taking, not giving. Here's my money. It's in that building in Mossman, in that house. The sad thing is the kids just... Uh, bulldozed the whole place when I died and just renovated. But I invested so much in that property. I, I didn't want to give to, to church or to those in need or for, for justice in the world. I didn't want to give to those who are really poor because, you know, I, I wouldn't benefit from it. I did nothing with it. And Jesus says, you fool. You fool. Why don't people... Serve, why don't people be generous with the resources that God has given them for the sake of the kingdom? I reckon there's two reasons. One is that we're busy. We are busy, aren't we? We are really busy. Our calendars are full. Work is demanding. Some of your jobs are more demanding than I can even imagine. But we still make choices as to how we spend our time. I reckon the, the biggest reason, and this is going to sound harsh, the biggest reason is selfishness. It's selfishness. We're always asking, well, what will I get out of this? How will it help me? You know, I've talked to people about the, the property redevelopment. It's just shocked me, the number of people who have said, oh, uh, now I'm not going to give because... It won't really benefit me. I might not be around in five years' time to benefit from it. What an attitude. Do you think the people who built this church 125 years ago were just thinking about themselves? We are benefiting from their generosity. Do you think the rector who sacrificed almost half his salary to refurbish this church out of his own pocket 
this carpet, painting these walls. Did it for himself? No, he did it for people like you and me who would benefit from his generosity as we sit here in vaguely comfortable pews listening to the gospel. Do you think the, the Cantonese congregation who left this projector and screen were thinking about themselves, were thinking about us and how we could praise God in his, in his place? The people who bought that piano, most of them have left this church, but we are benefiting from their generosity. You know, this building project, it might not benefit you, but others, many, many, many others will get to sit under the word of God in years to come. See, when you think about eternity, it just changes you radically. It changes the way you use your calendar, your days, your time, your energy, your money. And I hope you're going to be like people that Jesus talks about in this parable in verse 16. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. Uh, verse 18, the second came and says, Sir, your miner has earned five more. And his master answered, You take care of five cities. They've worked hard for the kingdom. They've worked hard for eternity. And they have a rich reward. I don't think the reward there is a better seat in heaven or more property in heaven. I think it's the enrichment and the joy and the reward of seeing saved people in eternity. The people who you served there in eternity because of your generosity. The money that you sent to buy Bibles in a different country and people sat under the word of God and you never met them. You never saw their face on this earth but they're there in eternity because of you and your generosity. The orphans who benefited from your generosity, just the simple act of feeding them and clothing them and demonstrating the love of Christ in action. And because of that, they came to know Jesus and they're in eternity with you. I think of people in this church. There was a lady here last night after Saturday night church and she was vacuuming the floor here at almost sort of half past nine at night. So that when we came to church this morning, when I came to church this morning for the eight o'clock service, it was looking nice so people could actually praise God in this place. I think of the, the man who gives up his Tuesday morning just an hour before work, just one hour before work between seven and eight to meet with a man who's struggling in his faith to read the Bible with him, to encourage him and to pray with him because he's got eternity in his mind. I think about the young mum who comes to playtime every week carrying four kids with her and she's there to meet the unbelievers, to build a relationship with them, to share Jesus with them. I think of the people who, yeah, offer their spare room, who use their money to fund Bible colleges, who pay for church workers, or who just do the behind-the-scenes stuff, using their time, using their talents to serve the kingdom. I think of people like Ron Wilcox, and there are hundreds of preachers out there in the UK and around the world, me included, who are preaching the gospel because of his generosity. Friend, the king is coming back. So how are you going to use your time, your talents, and your money to serve him, to grow his kingdom, to build his church? Why should we be generous? Grace, 
and eternity. I'm going to give you a moment where you are just to pray, pray privately. Then we're going to move into a time of open prayer. You can either just stand up and pray where you are, either in response to the word or about the floods or about events here in Kirribilli, people who are sick or lonely, anything on your heart. Just lift them to the Lord in prayer who has been so generous to us. Either stay where you are or come forward and use the microphone. I'll kick us off. Father, we thank you for the the grace that you have shown us in Christ.
Lord, you ask us to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness in your love for us. And you also command us to excel in this grace of giving. And so please, Lord, would you work by your spirit in this place to give each of us that heart of generosity. You you know, Lord, how much time we have, how much stress we have in our lives, the different stages of life that we're all at. But Lord, please, would you help each one of us here to take stock of how we're going in terms of being generous. I'll set for Jesus' sake. Thank you.